everyone, and welcome to Raising the Bar, a podcast dedicated to broadening the AI conversation in its practitioners and usage. I'm your host, Isha Kareem, and today we're going to break down the new wave of STEMinism. I'm excited to embark on this journey as we explore anything and everything AI-related. STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and math. It's one of those terms that gets tossed around a lot, to the point where the acronym itself is widely recognized across the globe. It seems like schools, colleges, and nonprofits everywhere are churning out initiatives to do a better job of teaching kids STEM skills. But despite all of these resources, the United States and the rest of the world isn't doing a great job of teaching STEM to young girls. As organizations targeting women in STEM grow, we've seen more and more women attain positions in the upper echelons of science, from programmers to VPs to professors. And yet, in one of the fastest growing fields of science, we see a seemingly insurmountable disparity that is yet to be addressed. AI is the future, but where are the women? Only 22% of AI professionals globally are female, compared to 78% of their male counterparts. More women don't pursue the field due to its technical intimidation, and the cost of scarcity could be devastating, especially in the long term. And it might be because we've been looking at AI from the wrong angle all along. It's not really about technical skills, it's about recognizing and solving problems in new ways. Let's take a trip back to middle school, you know, back when math made actual sense. My favorite memory was walking to the computer lab, all white, shiny, and super clean. Starting from a young age, I was pretty wary of every coding class I ever took. Even when I was doing well in that class, I was somehow still terrified. This brings us to the question, were young girls really encouraged to take the path towards a STEM career? Today, we'll scratch the surface of gender disparity in AI. We'll talk about the technicals, that means some numbers, some of my own stories, and a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. Stay tuned and hear all about it. Okay, back to grade school. A sea of crop tops, roller bags, and acne. If your middle school experience was anything like mine, you'd want to forget it. But our primary school years are more formative than we initially think. Studies actually show that basic literacy and computational and conceptual skills are acquired primarily in these years. Ironically, middle school is where children also develop relatively permanent attitudes about subjects and learning in general. Whether girls decide to pursue the AI pipeline begins in our preteen stage. As a young and honestly impressionable young girl, I never saw anyone that looked like me in my coding or physical science classes. I don't know about you, but middle school was literally a live reenactment of The Breakfast Club, a hierarchy of athletes, nerds, and to borrow a phrase from Mean Girls, plastics. I think that girls and women have been told that STEM means you have to be good at math. And you hear a lot of girls or women saying, I'm just not good at math. What does that mean? And it turns out STEM, coding, you know, building tech, creating apps, doesn't require that you like high school calculus. We have to understand that the field is so much broader than just, am I good at math or not? 
That's just not true, and we have to tear it down. Take the United States, for example, where we are right now. The gender gap in computer science, especially AI, is actually getting worse, despite our best efforts otherwise. We see this drop-off that happens well before the university years. Today, 66% of female students aged 6 to 12 are enrolled in some type of computer science program. But only 32% of girls are enrolled once you get to ages 13 to 17. And by the time you get to college, you have only 4% of college first years who are females enrolled in these programs. So you can see there's a dramatic decline from the earliest years that obviously affects who ultimately participates in these fields, which are not only the jobs of the future, but they also happen to be some of the most well-paying fields. 66%, then 32%, and finally just 4%. Imagine a room filled with college students who are interested in computer science. Everyone's excited talking about their hometowns, their new friends, their dorms, whatever. Now imagine that just a few of those students are women, probably not standing next to each other, looking out at a sea of guys. It would be easy for them to feel like they wandered into the wrong building, the wrong major, and perhaps into the wrong career. Culturally, we choose what we apply technology and science to. And because of inherent bias, people who have an interest in those areas keep reinforcing them. It's a cycle of addressing and solving problems that only matter to a specific group of people. Oh, let's work on AI. That's good. So let's do a coding program for the children, right? Why? Are all children interested in coding? Not necessarily. But they're all interested in something. And so what is it that the kids are interested in that we could use STEM to solve a problem that they could, you know, go on the same path of apprenticeship, journey, and mastery that they do for other subjects? It's such a cut and dry way of teaching science. And the problem is that curriculum and teaching methods, especially in primary schools, haven't changed for decades. It's these recycled methods that seem to have worked back then, when back then we had so few women in science and we continue to use similar methods to raise young girls today. They've been taught, oh, AI and computer science, it's just for these topics, or it's boring, or you're not gonna be good at it because it's only for certain people who are magically geniuses at it. That's just not true. We just teach it in a way that's interesting to certain people, and we teach it in a way that's super boring or intimidating to others, and it's completely unnecessary. I mean, when I was learning to code, it was all about math. Literally, that was the name of the game. Create a program to find the least common denominator or something like that. I was already struggling with math in school and the exercises alienated me from further trying my hand at the subject. I was super intimidated. But when I learned about building apps and game design and UX, I actually cared to spend my time and learn about it and I was truly interested. So it's all about the perspective from which we teach students. Diversity in both topics and in teachers are going to spark interest for a greater number of people, especially for girls. During the K-8 pipeline, girls are just as prepared as boys on average to pursue AI. We know that they have the tools and capabilities to do so. And so the question then becomes, of course, why don't we see that happen when they enter college? 
Why do they choose to enter other majors and so much less likely to go into the physical sciences and engineering? Is it a lack of interest or confidence? But an important reminder here though, when we say that girls have a lack of interest, we need to be careful because then it sort of becomes this argument, well, they're just not interested and we can't force people to be interested. And of course, we want people to do what they're interested in, right? That sounds like something that everyone can get behind. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Gender disparity and discrimination in AI is a clearly recognized issue. Even though more women are getting jobs and degrees in AI now than ever, the situation and its direness needs much more attention. You see it in the news, the media you consume. Gen Z is making serious inroads in breaking down institutions that have traditionally held back marginalized groups for decades. Women make up less than 20% of students who major in physical sciences, computer science, and engineering. We are 50% of the world's population and yet only a fifth of the world's engineers and innovators. Women who work in AI fields report a significantly higher margin of gender discrimination at work. Am I surprised? No. But am I disappointed? Yeah. If we want to make serious inroads in this area, we not only need to reform the laws that inhibit women's ability to participate in STEM fields, but we also need to make sure that there's a structure in place that facilitates access to education for young girls, and STEM education in particular, and that we address some of the cultural norms that are inhibiting the ability of girls and women to participate in these traditionally male-dominated fields. Cultural barriers can be tough to identify and hard to control. The images that women and girls see of themselves, the roles that they play on television and in film, the way that they're treated by their families and friends, even in the household. Remember that mostly male auditorium or lecture hall? We see this uneven split all the time. Every time we watch a movie or catch up on a TV show, there it is, a room full of all male coders, tech investors, or lab workers. Even sci-fi movies pander to male audiences, with women often being the token love interest or background supporting character. These images and assumptions worm their way into our minds, and they can close the door on AI very quickly in the minds of young girls. AI is building the world and the future for years to come, from infrastructure to space exploration, transportation, clean energy, and much more. It's even in the apps that you use on a day-to-day basis. These careers are solving our world's greatest challenges. When you have people of different backgrounds involved in building the solutions our world needs, you get improved solutions. A diverse group of people contributes to new and fresh perspectives, and we also discover more problems to solve. The fastest growing jobs worldwide require engineering and tech training. At this point, it's literally a no-brainer. There are huge opportunities for women in these jobs, yet there are still so few women entering these fields. If we truly want women to have equal opportunities, we need to intervene at a young age to ensure that we're actually encouraging them and building interest early on so that they even consider AI as a job in the first place.
We need to present AI and role models in a way that'll appeal to young girls. If we can do that, endless doors will open by giving women access to the same economic opportunities that men already have. If all this seems too abstract, there's another important reason to start getting more girls in AI. Cold, hard cash. If you want to make an economic argument, it's fine if you don't agree with us on the whole equity argument we just unpacked. We've got one. I know a lot of people who've discredited the gender divide narrative in AI. I mean, coming from the Silicon Valley, I was never discouraged to pursue certain subjects. But I'm quite aware that this ideal has not been extended to many women of my generation. Women in AI are poised to foster serious economic growth, which any world leader should be seriously interested in. I think that's exactly right. I mean, the link between girls' education and economic growth is quite clear. The World Bank has found that women and girls could add up to $30 trillion in the global economy if girls completed secondary education. Yeah, T. $30 trillion. You could put that in a document and eyebrows would literally be raised. This is what happens when half the population isn't economically engaged, specifically in the highest paying, fastest growing sector. Now, to be clear, that statistic refers to women completing any type of secondary education, not just in STEM or AI. But still, $30 trillion, that's enough money to pay off all of the student debt in the United States and then provide free college education for more than 100 years. We ought to be doing everything we can to make sure that we are capitalizing on the full human potential that exists, in men and women alike. There are some serious examples that have been raised, whether it relates to health or life or death issues. So there's a clear cost to excluding women. Let's run through just a few of them. Some are relatively smaller inconveniences, like the fact that Apple's health app didn't have a period tracker. Thankfully, that issue has since been resolved, but only after women had to speak up for it. Because after all, it may have slipped some programmer's mind that women use this app too. Others are more serious. Women are more likely to be injured or die in car accidents because crash tests are biased towards men. Not to mention that when airbags were first developed, almost all women died in accidents because they were shorter and the airbag was designed specifically with the average male build in mind. Bulletproof vests are not designed for women and are thus much harder for them to wear. The problem is, is that these aren't gender neutral devices. We, we can't call it that. They're just basic necessities that are designed for men and are supposed to magically work for women as well. And the medical world is rife with male bias. A new really scary development is that biases are being programmed into AI algorithms that are being used right now for treatment and diagnosis of patients. Due to years of focus on men in trials and clinical studies, women with heart disease are more likely to be misdiagnosed and then mistreated. Let's explore that further. Women have routinely been excluded from clinical trials due to their complicated biology, with worries that hormonal cycles could be seen to confound the results of clinical trials. If a drug affects half the population differently, we need to know about it. Gender bias in science and medicine has often led to men being treated as the norm and women treated as atypical men. The results of this bias can mean life or death for many women. One of the most devastating examples of gender bias in medicine is the diagnosis of cardiac arrest. 
The hallmark symptom of a heart attack, the one commonly depicted in TV dramas and films, is the man who falls to the ground with crushing central chest pain, often described as a tight band wrapped around the chest. However, these so-called typical symptoms are typical male symptoms. Women are much more likely to experience other symptoms with a heart attack. Nearly 40% of women don't have any chest pain. Instead, they're more likely to complain of nausea, vomiting, abdominal discomfort, lightheadedness, dizziness, or shortness of breath. Basing diagnosis on male symptoms and assuming women experience the same results in misdiagnosis and mistreatment on the part of any AI model. As a direct result, women are more likely to die after a heart attack than men. In one study, women under the age of 45 experiencing heart attack but presenting without chest pain were 14 times more likely to die than men of the same age with chest pain. Clearly, we have such biased algorithms and biased data that we keep self-reinforcing certain things. One of the things that ACLU did was they did a face recognition matching to a criminal database of all the members of Congress who mismatched. You know, so here's a phone. This says this is you. Is it you? No, right? But the algorithm doesn't lie. And yet, yes, of course it does, because humans make the algorithm and it's full of our own human bias and error. It turns out that face recognition works terribly on elders and on youth. And it doesn't work very well on women versus men. And it doesn't work very well on people of color versus light-skinned people. AI systems are far from perfect, especially when they reflect the quite narrow worldview of already advantaged individuals. Yeah, which means that self-driving cars are going to kill certain people, or lethal autonomous weapons are going to get things wrong, or these criminal databases are going to mismatch. So this technology is clearly not ready for prime time. While we have corrected these issues, these measures often come too late as a response to harm that's already occurred. If we want a better future, we need to design it from the beginning. And that starts with diversifying those who create these algorithms and generate the data. It requires looking beyond a siloed organizational approach of what have we gotten wrong and how can we fix it to why have we gotten this wrong and who can fix it. Open a web browser, pick up a newspaper, search for stories about AI and the future of work. While scholarship on the topic is getting increasingly nuanced, you can tell from the hundreds of search results, you're still likely to confront dire warnings about how smart machines are coming to take our jobs. Like, all of them. If these jobs are pandered towards men, people like you and I are going to lose our chance to become the next Daphne Kohler or Ada Lovelace. Alright, so what can we do? I wish there was a magic bullet that would fix all of this, but I know that change only happens as the result of a united activity that's focused on making something meaningful happen. There are, however, a number of common sense initiatives that we should be putting into practice. And this begins where we started. The classroom. Ever thought of the origins of computer science? Interestingly, the first person to ever suggest coding in computer science, this idea of an algorithm, is Ada Lovelace around the time of Charles Darwin. We all know who Darwin was. Not so much for Ada Lovelace. And that's a huge part of the problem. It's not just that young girls don't see women engaged in STEM fields on television. 
It's that our history books generally don't tell us the story of what women have already done in these fields. The way female scientists and mathematicians have shaped and saved the world. I mean, we barely study the lives of scientists in the classroom, and when they're taught, female scientists are, quite frankly, snubbed. Since high school biology, perhaps the most famous scientists you recall are Watson and Crick, the duo who made the chicken wire model of the double helix structure of DNA. They were awarded a Nobel Prize for their scientific breakthrough. Granted, they were phenomenal scientists, but in actuality, a young female scientist, Rosalind Franklin, took the infamous crystallography Photo 51 that captured the double helix structure. Franklin died of ovarian cancer in 1958, four years before the Nobel Prize was awarded to Watson, Crick, and Wilkins for their work on DNA structure. She never learned the full extent to which Watson and Crick had relied on her data to make their model. And yet, even in Watson's memoir, he continued to dismiss Franklin's vital contribution to their research. We have to ensure that history is accurate when we're telling these stories. I'd like to see some concrete investment and some policy changes in this to make a real difference, going beyond correcting textbook language and material. And that's what's going to move the dial, all of this together, and not just, you know, having a great International Women's Day, although it is an awesome day. But it needs to be year-round, and it needs to be reflected in the AI workspace, diversity through those from all walks of life. And there are solutions out there, people just sort of need to know about them. You know, this is an area, gender inequality, that's often thought of as deeply rooted and unsolvable. But when we come together as an international community to speak up for women who have long been silenced, we can make miracles. Two decades ago, women made up more than two-thirds of the world's 769 million illiterate people. Fast forward to today, we see that we are in a world in which the gender gap in education at the primary level has virtually closed globally. Every additional year of primary school increases girls' eventual wages by 10 to 20%, which leaves women more independent and less susceptible to violence. We are empowering them to make decisions and take individual action, and in doing so, creating strong female communities in places where there were none. So what does this tell us? It tells us that when we come together as an international community and set goals, we can change these outcomes, these statistics. And that's just as true when it comes to the gender gaps in AI education and fields as it was in the area of primary education or women's health. It's a rinse and repeat process, not just a one-time effort that slowly loses traction among young girls. Let's talk about the story of Lillian Muller-Gilbreth. I know that the name might not ring bells for a bunch of people, but I'm here to unpack it for you. She was an American psychologist and industrial engineer in the early 20th century. Not only was she an acclaimed expert in psychology, she was also a mother of 12 children. I mean, today I can barely manage my own younger sister. She was a trailblazer in the engineering field and was the first female to be a commencement speaker at any University of California as well as the first engineering professor at Purdue. She was the first woman to be elected to the National Academy of Engineering. Clearly, this woman is beyond impressive in many ways, but here at Raising, we see Miss Gilbreth as more than just a role model. 
She is the perfect example of how we want to inspire young girls and women across the globe to pursue what they're interested in, regardless of their gender or social identifications. Now, a question that all of us may have, are we as talented as this woman? Do we have the potential to do what she did? The answer is yeah, you do. The only way to access and maximize our skill sets is to explore. There's no way to know what we can do with our talents as a global community of females if we aren't getting the proper representation we need. If we're constantly being overlooked by our male counterparts, we'll never know if we had the ideas, the motivation, or the passion to succeed. This is why we need to change these standards so that our daughters and their daughters and every future generation of females can grow up to contribute everything we know that they can. Let's make the best attempt at giving young girls a real shot at AI. If they don't like it, then so be it. But we owe it to ourselves to at least try. Sometimes when you're that nerdy girl sitting in the computer science class, wondering why there aren't more girls there, it's easy to believe that you must be alone. But there are people like you out there and they can give you help, guidance, and support when you inevitably need it. Be brave and seek them out. Seriously, I'm talking about me and everyone on the Raising team. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raising underscore podcast to keep the conversation going. We want to hear from you directly too, so write us. Leave a message on Anchor or email us at raising.podcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, if you found value to today's show, we'd appreciate a rating. Be sure to tune in next week for our latest episode. That's it for today, and stay tuned for more bars that need raising.